1: Well, it feels like we've done this before Which we did, two minutes ago But it's always good to uh, start a few good men on the Big Ten podcast with my friend Andy Anders on an eventful weekend in the Big Ten. Andy, Ohio State uh, survives Indiana, and I do mean survives, a furious rally by the Hoosiers in the second half. We have drama with the Minnesota and Purdue game on Friday night. We have a overtime extravaganza in Piscataway. Michigan happy they won. I mean, I guess it's better than losing, but you can't be too thrilled when you have to work that hard to beat Rutgers. And we have an and 5 Penn State team. And, oh, by the way, we have Northwestern taking control of the Big Ten West. Yeah. A um, whole lot of things
0: you wouldn't expect to be saying this late in the season. <laughs> Penn State 0-5. Wow. Jim Harbaugh ecstatic over a triple overtime win over Rutgers.
1: Oh. Uh,
0: Northwestern leading the Big Ten West. Not yeah. Wisconsin. Not Minnesota.
1: Yeah. Not even Iowa. It's Northwestern out there. Northwestern. You excited about that Big Ten title game, Northwestern and Ohio State?
0: Uh, I honestly think that Northwestern beating Wisconsin is a bad thing for the Buckeyes. Yeah, uh, Northwestern will be the easier game, but that's that's a bad thing. I, I think if uh, Wisconsin wins out, they would be looked at more favorably by the playoff committee in terms of a win. I think for the Buckeyes, if you win out, you're still probably going to be in the playoff. Agreed. Right? But you could have been a higher seed, potentially, if it was Wisconsin in that game. Um, And, you, you you know, I think the uh, higher seeds are going to be very valuable in this, um, especially if you're talking about potentially being the one seed. If Alabama gets knocked off, if yeah. Clemson avenges against Notre Dame, the fourth team in this playoff could be a very weak team relative to the top three. If could the be. top three are Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama. Uh, so for Ohio State, I think it's actually a bad thing that Northwestern beat Wisconsin, but... For Northwestern, man, what a coaching job this year by Pat Fitzgerald.
1: Yeah, they uh, sort of gather themselves every four or five years to have a great uh, team by Northwestern standards. And at this point in time, you know, having beaten Iowa, having beaten Wisconsin, looks like they've weathered the worst of it in the West. So I would fully expect Northwestern to be the team that plays Ohio State on December the 19th. In Indianapolis, we have to always preface everything by saying that uh, COVID could intrude, and Ohio State's already lost one game to COVID. They cannot lose two more, or they're not eligible to play in the Big Ten title game, but they would still be eligible to play in the college football playoff.
0: Right. All indications are they are on for Illinois, at least so far. Uh, they have three games left. you got to play two of them to make it. Yep. Uh, I maintain
1: Michigan will not play them. I maintain <laughs> Michigan will not play Ohio State.
0: <laughs> did you see Dabo Sweeney's comments? Uh, I did. About Florida Dabo State.
1: Dabo saying Florida State didn't want to play Clemson and that uh, he considers that game a forfeit it by was, Florida State. It
0: was Clemson who had the positive COVID test. Clemson tests.
1: had the positive COVID test, yeah.
0: Uh, an interesting scenario there. If you believe Dabo in that one, I'm not the biggest Dabo fan. I respect <laughs> I respect. Him as a coach, obviously, to win multiple national titles, you have to be a great coach. Yes, you do. I'm not denying he's a great coach, but he just, the way he carries himself, the way he talks, the negative recruiting I've seen kind of sometimes behind the scenes from the Clemson program, it, you know, he rubs me the wrong way as a, like personally, but I respect what he does as a coach. I didn't, I wasn't a fan of those comments. Uh, especially because the positive COVID tests were on your team. and um, But you wonder if it's a similar scenario Then, if you believe what he said if Michigan were to cancel against Ohio State. I don't
1: think it's going to be good for the Michigan program to play Ohio State this year. Although Ohio State's defense showed some vulnerabilities on Saturday, I tend to write some of those off to being up 35-7 in a stadium with no fans where... They can keep you juiced up and keep responding to your big plays and all that. I know you got to police your own attitude and focus and all that. I get it. But I just think in a stadium full of rabid Buckeye fans, a comeback from 35-7 by Indiana is not as apt to happen as it happened under those circumstances.
0: Right. Um, A lot of things... I'll start with the positives for Ohio State from that game, I guess, because mm-hmm. there's obvious negatives to talk about. And my You Can't Handle the Truth is going to be about some of those negatives. But um, honestly, Fields played the worst game he's played as an Ohio State quarterback. He did. And he still threw for, what, 300 yards? Um, I think if that's the, the valley for Justin Fields, Ohio State fans don't have any reason to be concerned for the passing game. Uh, I think the offensive line is going to get too much flack from this game. One-on-one, they're winning their matchups in pass protection. They kept him upright a lot of the game. They had a lot of really good pickups. Uh, There was a touchdown pass. Master Teague picked up a very nice blitz. Had a very nice blitz pickup. I think that Indiana was sending a lot of creative pressures. A lot of times they sent more than Ohio State could block. And Fields held the ball too long on a lot of those sacks.
1: He does that a lot. That's one, I think, of all the things I could list as Justin Field weaknesses, that would be the top of the list.
0: Exactly, and I think all those pressures that they got to him on were zone blitzes, and I think defensive coordinators are going to pick up on that. So that's something he needs to work on is, how do I beat a zone blitz? I think against man blitzes he's done, because he has man beaters on the outside. That's how Ohio State's trounced Michigan all these past few years, how Ryan Day has overcome the Don Brown blitzes, uh, blitz schemes, is that their man blitzes and Ohio State has real NFL receivers on the outside. They do again this year. They can beat man coverage when they're singled up after the linebackers are sent. But the zone blitzes are throwing fields off a little bit more, I think. Uh, So I would watch out uh, for him and Day to try and work through some of those issues against the zone blitz. I don't think the offensive line should be a concern right now. I see a lot of people saying that, but they should be. But again, I feel just holding the ball too long in the pocket Mm -hmm. and you're having a lot of very creative pressures and guys being sent more than you can block. There was one major miscommunication I saw between Nicholas Petit, Frere, and Wyatt Davis on the right side that allowed a rusher to go free. But other than that, I actually really liked how the offensive line played this weekend.
1: Yeah, well, for Ohio State, the next two weeks, if the games happen, you know, they're playing coaches, head coaches who were defensive coaches Lovey Smith, Illinois, and Mel Tucker, Michigan State. Uh, Michigan, obviously, Jim Harbaugh is the head coach, Don Brown's the defensive coordinator. I think that they're both in their final few games with Michigan because you just, look, you just cannot work as hard as they had to work to beat Rutgers, and Ohio State's going to. Just name that one. That'll be a game where Ohio State won't need fans in the stadium just beating Michigan and some of the stuff that uh, reportedly went on in the offseason with Michigan trying to call Ohio State out on coaching without masks and stuff, and uh, Ryan Day saying – privately to his team we're going to try to score 100 on those guys and at the time that seemed like you know braggadocio but uh, at this point in time it seems like it might happen so uh, we shall see we want to thank those of you who are watching us on our twitch broadcast do us a favor hit the follow button It's located at the bottom right of the screen. It's that little heart. Once you do that, you'll get a text or an email notification every time we go live on the Chris Landry Football Show. Every single time you'll get that notification, just click on that link in the message, and bam, you will be watching us live. You can listen to this podcast and an array of podcasts across all conference platforms. you got uh, your scouting shows, your recruiting shows, your fantasy shows at LandryFootball.com. It's your home for all things football, LandryFootball.com okay uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, Northwestern and how they're doing it uh, with Peyton Ramsey an Indiana transfer they're not really impressive throwing it they're not really impressive running it they play really good defense holding Wisconsin to seven points and Pat Fitzgerald looked he looked comfortable at 14 to 7 he looked real comfortable at uh, 17 to seven and I didn't know what Paul Christ was doing in that game when they were down in field goal range and it was 14-7 to and Paul Chris decided to go for a fourth and six. I thought at that point in time, you've probably got another two possessions in the game. You kick the field goal, you take your chance of scoring a touchdown and try to win the game outright on the road. I thought it was a really bad decision by Paul Chris because when they didn't get it, it gave Northwestern the momentum then to drive down and get the field goal. Once they were up two scores, it's over.
0: I would have understood that decision if Wisconsin's offense was humming. Um, but you've scored seven points to that point in the game. Uh, you need to take the points where you can yep. get them, and you're stopping Northwestern on offense. So I think reading the momentum of the game should have probably kicked the field goal there. If it were a high-scoring affair, I would have understood going for it. Um, As far as what Northwestern does well, I am... I am just blown away, honestly, at how well Pat Fitzgerald can coordinate a defense. He's shown that year in and year out at Northwestern, no matter how far behind the offense may be, mm-hmm. the defense is never going to allow big plays. They play that soft zone coverage. Um, and when they have a good talent on the defense like they do this year, they have a good stable of defensive backs. They have one of the best linebackers in the conference, Patty Fisher. They have a deep, they have a deep talented back end, actually, at Northwestern. And I think that um, when you have that level of talent with that level of coordination, it results in great defenses, and that's what's happening in Northwestern. Yeah,
1: Mike Hanquist does a really good job. They play, uh, uh, I would say, a defense where it's kind of a patty cake, Ben, but don't break defense. They exactly. don't blitz. They rarely blitz. And, uh, you know, so they force you to go short plays, long drives, multiple multiple play drives. They don't give up big plays, and that works against 12 of the 13 teams they can play. It doesn't work against Ohio State when you have talent like Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and others who can either outrun you or out you or break a tackle, and you're gone. Northwestern likes to keep everybody in front of them, and against the Iowas, Minnesotas, Michigans, North, uh, Wisconsin, you can do that. There's, a and I don't don't mean to sound like a homer, I'm trying to give you the facts. I mean, when Wisconsin played Michigan, Wisconsin looked really fast. When Northwestern plays certain teams, they look sure tackling really fast. When they play Ohio State, teams have a way, Big Ten teams, have a way of not looking fast.
0: Oh yeah, on defense for sure in the back end. Because Ohio State has two of the fastest, most explosive, most agile, best route running receivers in the country. Uh, two Those first two catches, obviously the first drive at Ohio State came right down the field on Indiana. Garrett Wilson had two big catches, and they mm-hmm. scored in two plays. Both of those routes, if you go back and watch those plays, were just perfectly executed. Yep. I mean, he had the stop-and-go up the sideline with the big play, a perfect in-cut on the touchdown pass. I mean... It's not just the incredible athleticism Olave and Wilson possess because they're both phenomenal athletes already, but you add it with tremendous technique, and I think that goes out to Brian Hartline, the mm-hmm. Ohio State wide receivers yep. coach has developed an incredible route running duo, and that's what I really like to see from those two because when you combine that level of talent with that level of technique, it's always going to be exceptional.
1: Um, Okay, let's talk about Michigan's win over Rutgers. (laughs) They were down. Uh, I was at dinner Saturday night. They were down 7-0. They were down 14-0. They got it back to 21-14. Then it bumped it back out, and they did rally. They did make the play. Got lucky. Rutgers missed a field goal, I think, in the first overtime. Uh, That game should have been a loss for Michigan, so I understand why they're celebrating. But uh, it's like sometimes you just have to you almost you almost I, I look I know losing's worse than winning losing would have been devastating but if you can win and have it be as devastating as losing that to me was that
0: <laughs> you don't think Cade McNamara is going to be their savior well i mean he's
1: a better choice than Joe Mixon i don't i don't uh, i get you know people are fascinated by size they're fascinated by arm strength i understand it Joe Mixon it appears does not see the field Cade McNamara isn't Physically imposing, but he's a playmaker. We've seen this, Andy. How many times we see it with a lot of players in football? They don't fit the physical bill. They don't fit the eye test. They can just play the game. The Big Ten has been sprinkled with these guys throughout the years. Jimmy Leonard at Wisconsin is one of those guys. A lot of the guys at Northwestern are those guys. Craig Krenzel to give you an old Ohio Craig, State name. Craig Krenzel an old Ohio State name. An older Ohio State name. Chris Spielman. He was, you know, he wasn't the highest drafted Buckeye off that defense. Eric Kumaro was because he was six five and, you know. The NFL always thinks they can take physical talent and translate it into on-field production. But on-field production can't be ignored. And so, you know, Mixon, I get the fascination. McNamara's the better quarterback. But he's not good enough to mask the problems with Michigan's defense. He just isn't. And Cade McNamara can throw the football. He's not going to fix their running game. He's not going to fix their offensive line. So they got problems, and um, we've said it before. Uh, they have to make a change. Uh, I don't, and I think you know Matt Campbell's team is. I think Iowa State six and two. That's just. It's so easy that. It has to happen. If it doesn't happen, then Michigan just doesn't care about being great anymore.
0: He's been a hot coaching prospect for yeah. a while, it's a surprise he hasn't moved on from Iowa State. Maslin,
1: that- Ohio product, coached at Toledo. He'd understand that area of the country. He's got yep. contacts back here. He's pulled some big upsets. He's beaten Oklahoma, when he's, he's won games where he hasn't had as good a talent. I think he will recruit Ohio. He will recruit Ohio hard. It comes at a time when Ohio... State, honestly, leave some Ohio players on a table Absolutely. because they're – and I get it. They're having success recruiting nationally. I don't know that I love it. I get it. I can understand it without loving it. But uh, I just think Matt Campbell is the far and away choice. And if you you say, well, wait a second, you're overlooking Luke Fickle. I, I agree. I think Luke Fickle would do a tremendous job there. I just think it's a harder decision for Luke Fickle to take it Given his Columbus ties and his Ohio State ties.
0: Yeah, I agree with everything you said there. Um I, I think it is time to move on from Jim Harbaugh. Um it's we say it every week, right, that mm-hmm. this Michigan team is in turmoil. Um, I never thought I thought it was such a surreal thing for me when he's jumping up and down on the sideline because Rutgers miss a field goal that would have beat them in overtime. I I just couldn't have ever seen Six years in, that would happen.
1: Maybe he thought he wouldn't survive Monday if that field goal went through. <laughs>
0: that might have been the case. Probably not. They, they are at least going to let him finish yeah, the season. Yeah, I think so, too. Absolutely. They have way too much respect for him for, to fire him mid-season. Um, What you were talking about with the Ohio recruits, we brought this up last week. You just look at what Kentucky's done. Kentucky yep. has started to contend in the SEC mostly with Ohio guys mm-hmm. that Ohio State passes on. The Lynn Bowdens and Benny Snells of the world. Yep. That are talented dudes, but they're on that low end four star. Where Ohio State's getting a high end four star or five star prospect at the same position nationally. Uh, Ohio is the fifth best state in the country for football talent. Honestly, when you look at the history, uh, they're behind the only four states you would really put ahead of them consistently is California, Texas, Georgia, and Florida. Mm -hmm. So, um, recruiting Ohio is the solution. For an up-and-coming Michigan coach, it's been the solution in the past, and that's something Matt Campbell can bring.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm at the Ohio High School Championships over the weekend, and Akron Hoban is the powerhouse in uh, Division Two, and they've got kids going to Wisconsin, kids going to Rutgers. I mean, if they're good enough, if a defensive lineman is good enough to go play at Wisconsin, he's good enough to go play at Michigan. Arizona State, starting running back, starting tailback, DeMonte train him. Hoban. I mean, Michigan, I've seen this kid play. He's he's five bottle five eleven, two twenty five. He's starting at Arizona State. He's a big time player. Ohio State didn't want him, didn't take him. That kid's got to be at Michigan. He's just gotta be there. Yeah. They don't have a running back like him. And I don't I don't know what they're doing. No. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know if it's an arrogance thing or what. That
0: Harbaugh don't doesn't recruit Ohio. He doesn't doesn't seem to recruit Michigan well either. Yeah, no, he late. doesn't. No. Uh so I, I, I don't know what's going on up there. They they just it's time for a change, unfortunately. Um, as we've said all along. No pleasure in saying that, but it's it's time for a change over there. Let's talk yeah. about though another coach it might be time to move on from. Uh Penn State now 0 and five.
1: Yeah. First time in school uh, history. And
0: now the reports have come out about Micah Parsons mm-hmm. uh, being in a fight, being in an uh, altercation that involved punching, choking in a knife, apparently, mm-hmm. uh, with a teammate. And James Franklin tells said teammate, you know, given Micah Parsons is their best defensive player, not to go to the police after uh, this altercation that involved a knife. Bruce, what do you make of this situation uh is it time for James Franklin to go at Penn State
1: well I mean it's just you don't want on field adversity to be paired with off field adversity and police blotter stuff and unflattering headlines and accusations I'm not going to get into who did what to whom because I have no idea right I just know that embattled coaches if the embattlement is related to winning and losing, can survive when you have multiple 10-win seasons like James Franklin has had. But when you get investigations, court cases, depositions, all those kinds of things in there, it makes the school look at the coach differently, and it makes the coach sometimes look for a fresh start. Uh, The rumor, the assumption, I should say, it's not really a rumor, the assumption has been that James Franklin has had, I don't know if a wondering eye, but a willingness to listen. Um, what jobs will be out there after this season? Maybe USC, because I just don't believe in Clay Helton. Maybe Texas. Um, Would those be jobs James Franklin would be interested in? Yes. Now, of course, if you have this off-field drama, he's less of a star hire than he would be in ideal circumstances. But it wouldn't surprise me if they helped him or encouraged him to find something else. And it wouldn't surprise me if he jumped. No,
0: I totally agree with that statement there. Uh, The on-field and the off-field, I think, is too much, and it's time for a change. He hasn't been able to win the big games he needs to Mm -hmm. win at Penn State in the past, you know what you're getting at his best? I don't think if you're sad I don't think you're satisfied with what you're getting at his best because he blows big games all of the time. Yep. He is not a good game manager at the end of games. He's proven that to this point. There's other things he does well as a coach when he's at his best. Obviously, he's not doing any of those things well this year. <laughs> They're 0 and 5, but um at his best, he's not a bad recruiter. He's a solid motivator when it comes to you know coming out and getting a good start um he's gotten obviously some really good talent to play really well there at Penn State a lot of people want to discredit him for what Mm -hmm. Saquon Barkley what Trace McSorley what all that what KJ Hamler what all those talented dudes did for him but as a coach it's your job to get the best out of those types of players yeah I don't take a ton away from James Franklin for that um you know, great coaches have great players. Like, do people want to disgrace Bill Belichick for having Tom Brady? Usually not. So I think that what he's done there, there's some things he's done well. But the peak isn't quite what you want if you're a Penn State fan. And now this valley might be too much to overcome when you combine, like you said, the on-field with the off-field.
1: Yeah. Uh, The If You Good Men on the Big Ten podcast is sponsored by American Betting Experts. It's one of the largest licensed sports casino vendors in the U.S. We've teamed together to provide special gaming offers to all Landry Football followers and podcast listeners. Go to the website, LandryFootball.com. Click on the ad located in the upper right-hand side of the page. That will allow you to pick among the gaming sites legal in your state. Maybe it's BetMGM, DraftKings, FanDuel, or PointsBet. Sign up, instantly receive an account, deposit, match, or a risk-free bet from $100 to $1,000. It is that easy. Go to LandryFootball.com, click on that ad in the upper right-hand side of the page, and get in on the action with a special offer from American betting experts. All right, elsewhere around the Big Ten, we have uh, Nebraska, another program that's um, hitting fits and starts in its rebuild. You know, I thought Scott Frost in year two was going to do a really good job. Year three last year was... Kind of a struggle uh, this year. They faced, I mean, face it, the Big Ten ganged up on them with their schedule because of their temerity in filing a lawsuit to, you know, play football. Uh, but losing the Illinois forty-one twenty-three, that's a that's an eye opener.
0: Yes, uh, I, don't, I I said after the Ohio State game, Nebraska might be the team of the future in the Big Ten. That's not that prediction ain't looking so good at this point. But the um, I. This is a tough year for Scott Frost again. You just hate the hand he's been dealt every yeah. single season. Um thus far, it's I don't think it's time for a change at all. He gets at least he gets one more year. Oh yeah, this, definitely. For right. sure. Um I I just think I I was expecting them the way they fought against Ohio State because you look at the score 52-17, it doesn't look like they put up a fight in the game. They put up a real fight yeah. in that game. Yeah, they, they fought, did. They battled to the end with And a team they were clearly overmatched against. But they haven't shown that same fight. Getting beat by 18 by Illinois is not that level of fight that I saw when they played Ohio State. Um, Scott Frost needs to start pulling it out of them again. And I get They've been beaten down. They had this awful schedule. The Big Ten seems to be against them. Um, But you have to build some sort of momentum going forward because, look, Nebraska's not going to change in the long term until they start winning right. and are able to land some bigger names on the recruiting trail. That's just how college football works. You can't keep having sub-500 seasons and expect to build a program for the future. You, The first step is to get above 500 and start recruiting your top in-state guys. Nebraska, not the most talent-rich state out there, Mm-mm. but there's plenty of states that aren't as talent-rich and you can still build a recruiting base from. They produce a few four-star guys a year. You have to build up that 500 record first, and then you can start developing some of those recruiting bases a little better. But when you're sub-500 all the time, no recruit wants to go play there.
1: I think they have a problem in that I'm not sure what they used to do is possible to do anymore, and I think it's a combination of the fact that Uh, Back in the day, they were getting a lot of uh, really good walk-on players. They were pulling a lot of recruits from California. They were pulling a lot of recruits from Texas, I think, playing in the Big Ten. Why would Texas guys want to go play for you? I know you can watch them on the Big Ten network and all that kind of stuff, but it's not the same. Plus, the character of the Big 12 has changed. When they were dominating in the Big 12 and trading back and forth with Oklahoma, it was a run league. It's now become a pass league, and they missed the boat on that. They tried to capture it with Bill Callahan. They tried to capture it with Mike Riley. They haven't captured it. Uh, so I think it's a combination of the fact that I don't think the Big Ten was the best fit for them football wise. Uh, I don't think that they've kept up with the times, and I think the fact that uh, the that used to be they used to be one of the halves, and there used to be only about ten or fifteen halves. Now I think there's about 30 to 35 teams where you can play pretty good college football and get to the NFL and show yourself as a quarterback, show yourself as a wide receiver, things like that. I just think Nebraska is ceased to be relevant at a time when the the tide of football changed, the leagues changed, the whole dynamic of everything surrounding Nebraska football changed at a time when Nebraska got bad, and it was a bad time to get bad.
0: You know what it is? Recruiting footprints got big. Like yep. you look back when Ohio State was don- – not when Ohio State, when Nebraska was dominant in the 90s, you were getting all those recruits out west. You know, most re- – recruiting was much more localized. Yeah. Since social media, since developed communication, since brand has become a thing on the yep. recruiting trail. Exactly. All these programs can go and recruit nationally now. And that's why Ohio – college football lacks – I think it had more parity. Yeah um decades ago but now it's you know it's Ohio State it's Alabama it's Clemson and then it's kind of everybody else
1: yeah I mean you go back and you look at the great Woody Hayes teams you're not going to find a great wide receiver on Ohio State's roster from California like Chris Olave you're not going to find one on there like uh Chris Olave on the John Cooper teams or even on the Jim Trestle teams now I mean they had the occasional David Boston from Texas and places like that but it was primarily it was a Midwest team And so that was why when Ohio State would go play in the Rose Bowl way back in the day, they faced a speed disadvantage because California's recruiting California kids. Now everybody's recruiting everybody. Mm -hmm. And so you're right, Andy, that's a big part of it. The way that social media has changed recruiting, the way that recruiting services have operated, the technology, everything has gone on. And it's almost like Nebraska was just this, in some ways, unwitting victim and in some ways, just a little bit of sleep at the switch at the wrong time. And so I think I really think Nebraska's ceiling now is a little bit like Northwestern, Iowa, regroup. Every four to five years, you build a strong senior class. You put together a 9-10 a 10 win season. Maybe you win the West, but I don't see them being a national player again.
0: No, uh, they just don't have the in-state base. They don't have the Texas connections anymore. I mean, there's so many people competing for Texas commits now. Ohio State's a big player in Texas. Big player. And then obviously the in-state schools, if Herman can uh, start regathering himself in Texas after I mean, um, one thing we haven't talked about, the five-star flip that happened.
1: Quinn Ewers, yeah.
0: Quinn Ewers to Ohio State. Um, There are some reports, and they aren't, take this with a grain of salt, because they aren't very they, I, I haven't been able to really confirm them at all um, they're just kind of, they're out there, they're on Twitter, is that Quinn Ewers really wanted to go to Texas. Like, painted his room burnt or orange as a kid, wanted to go to Texas. And he didn't because of Tom Herman. Mm. That he saw the way Tom Herman treated his former Houston staff after they came with him to Texas. Uh, that he thinks he's essentially a snake oil salesman. And, uh, that's the main reason he decommitted. Now, again, I, that's not, there's like one source that's saying that, hearing it behind the scenes, um, he is someone who's connected, but I, it's just not that well, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that's a hundred percent why it happened with Quinn Ewers, but if it did, that's, that's just so interesting, um, and really is not a good look. Even if that's not what happened, it's a terrible look for Tom Herman to miss out on a five-star Texas kid who was committed to Texas.
1: Yeah, at a time when you know they're going to be needing a quarterback with Sam Ellinger, you know, leaving, and they'd have one year in between. But uh, yeah, that's a bad look. You got to get the best when you're Texas. You got to get the best players in Texas. Mac Brown always did. And that's why they got good under Mac Brown. And um, Tom Herman is supposed to be a great recruiter. And he just hasn't. A lot of good players are leaving Texas to come to Ohio State and other places. Uh, If you found us on Twitch TV, thank you for that. Twitch.tv forward slash the Chris Landry football show. Hit the follow button. It's in the bottom right-hand corner of your screen. It's that little heart. So you'll automatically get a message every time we are live and a link to the show. And secondly, chat with us on Twitch. Say hi, say anything, shoot us a question, and we will give you a shout-out back. But speaking of... Shout-outs. We love to shout-out our friend, Colonel Nathan Jessup. Oh, yeah. You can't handle the truth! All right, I heard you say you had a you can't handle the truth. What is it?
0: All right, well, we didn't get to talk about the secondary for Ohio State yet. Um, here's the thing. The talent departure is clear. Obviously, um, Sean Wade, outside corner, I know he had the pick six. Uh, but that move hasn't really panned out uh, other than that one play. He's been bodied by bigger physical receivers Uh, And it happened again with Ty Fryfogle multiple Mm -hmm. times in that game. Seven banks is their best corner, and he doesn't look that good right now. Uh, Marcus Williamson is ineffective at the slot. Safeties are a huge problem. I know the level of play is a huge issue for the Ohio State secondary, but Kerry Combs, and this is my You Can't Handle the Truth, should not be beyond blame here. you have to scheme to put your players in the best position to win. The fact is the parallels between 2018 and 2020 are way too big to ignore for me in terms of the defensive coordination. What happened with Greg Schiano in 2018? He just had a bunch of first round corners leave. He did a great mm-hmm. job coordinating the 2017 defense. The, the year prior, Greg Schiano was a great defensive coordinator, but he didn't change the scheme. You had a whole group of first round corners leave and he tried to run the same system with press man coverage and bump and run. That worked when you had your Garyon Conleys, your Marshawn Lattimore's, Denzel those, Ward, Denzel Ward, yeah. those types of players, and then when you have Isaiah Pryor and Jocelyn Went and these other guys who are a clear drop off at safety. You have other corners who weren't there yet. Damon Arnett was playing, but he wasn't the first round talent he mm-hmm. was in 2019 at all. Um. You you didn't sh- shift the scheme to account for the fact you no longer had those first round talents, and then people receivers just beat those guys in man coverage. Uh, Rondale Moore, obviously. Ooh. You look at what um, Rashad Bateman did against mm-hmm. them. That was one of his big breakout games. Uh, Minnesota has a second receiver golf in that game too. I think it was Tyler Johnson or somebody.
1: Tyler Johnson,
0: yes. Um. Anyway, Kerry Combs can't be beyond blame here because. When I see that Ohio State is getting beat over the top time and time again, uh, they were earlier in the season against Indiana. It was awful. Any time Indiana took a downfield shot, it seemed like it was completed in that game. And you wait until a minute left to go to two high. They didn't go. They 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 stayed in that one high scheme with three corners, and their slot corner isn't effective. They have one good slot corner on this team, and he's playing outside. Mm. That's just it. Sean Wade is not an outside corner. Right now. Maybe when in another year, he could play the outside, but he's clearly not adjusted well to the position. Anytime someone runs an inside running round against him, they complete the pass. Again, he gets bodied on the sideline by bigger physical receivers. So that move didn't pay him out. Marcus Williamson is not effective at the slot, and the safeties aren't good enough to play one high. You don't have the sweeper that Jordan Fuller was. Josh Proctor delivered a few nice big hits, but anytime he's singled up in man. He gets beaten, and he's not the over-the-top guy. He's singled up in man almost every play he's on the field on defense. And they played him 10 yards off all the time, and uh, Indiana was running corner routes, hitch routes, anything they wanted to do when Josh Proctor couldn't cover it. Um, I went back and watched some of that game. Marcus Hooker was beat over the top all of the time, and he can't tackle in the open field at all. Um, I th- You have to give the two high a shot. I'm sorry... I know you're stubborn. Um, You have to give the two high a shot if you're Ohio State. You're getting beat over the top way too many times. And I know, obviously, the safeties are a big problem right now. So people are saying, why do you want more of them on the field? Well, it changes the scheme. You don't have to play man across the board like you do in that three-corner set they run because clearly they just don't have the talent to do it this year. Teams with worse talent than Ohio State. These are still better corners, even though they're a huge drop-off for Ohio State, than a lot of the country has. But a lot of the country is playing better because Ohio State is still scheming like they have first-round talent at the defensive back position, and they just don't. Sean Wade is a first-round talent, but he's not playing like one because he switched positions and it didn't pan out. No one else is a first-round talent on this team at defensive back right now. Um, You have to adjust the scheme. Maybe... Switching Madison on the field and Combs in the box is a solution, because the in-game adjustments haven't been there either. Yeah, but Kerry Combs cannot be beyond blame for how bad this secondary is playing because he's not putting the he's your job to hide the weaknesses and expose the strengths of the defense. He hasn't done that because he hasn't hidden the weakness that is the secondary this season.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure that uh, bothers Kerry as much as it bothers anybody. Uh, It won't come back to haunt them in their next three regular season games or the Big Ten title game, but it most certainly would be a vulnerability in the playoff Uh against teams that throw the ball well, particularly if it's Alabama or Clemson or even Notre Dame. All right, uh, you have not seen it, you said, so I'm going to show it to you as we get into my... The truth. All right, Andy, it is late in the Minnesota-Purdue game, and Purdue is down by three, and here is the play. And does that guy look to you like he committed offensive pass interference? Oh,
0: no. I, actually, I did see this. Now that I think about it. Oh,
1: yeah. That's I your game-winning touchdown pass yep. with uh, 50-some seconds to go in the game Good night. for Purdue against mm-hmm. uh, Minnesota. Here it is again, and you can look at it a thousand times, and you're not going to see that Purdue tight end commit offensive pass interference. Yet it was called, and then Purdue threw an interception. And lost the game, and Jeff Brom was understandably livid about it. Uh, social media was abuzz with how it was a horrible call. It um, it puts the Big Ten in a kind of a light where you look at it and you go, "Well, well, that dude had money on the game," which you know we know he didn't have money on the game, but that's where people go, and you don't ever want people to even go down that road with your league. There has to be communication on the field among the officials somebody has to have a clear view of that and say to the person who threw the flag, hey, you got to pick that up. I mean, you have to pick that up. Because it it did decide the game. I you hear all this time people say, "Well, one play doesn't decide the game." Well, sometimes one play does decide the game. Yes. In the last minute, one play decides the game. And that play decided the game and it decided the game for the wrong team. And Purdue has still somewhat realistic chances of having a landmark season. And that loss really hurts their bowl aspirations. It really does. And it hurts their opportunity in the Big Ten West. And that's just, man, that can't happen. The conference, and I would, the only thing for the conference to do is to just own up and say, we blew it. We absolutely blew that call. And I would think that ref should not work another game this year. And I would say he shouldn't work another game in the Big Ten ever. Because you just can't make that mistake. Now, the Big Ten taking ownership for something? Yeah, I know. Uh, Shocker. That would be. Uh, I'd be more I, I, shocked by that.
0: It would be. Uh, it be a nice thing to see. Um, the Big Ten officials haven't have been really bad this season in general. I okay. mean, the Ohio State Indiana game had some terrible calls in it that went both ways. Um, phantom pass interferences and um, they, why didn't they? Re- there was that one fumble that Baron Browning forced, where the receiver clearly wasn't down. Right. They didn't even stop to take a look. Um, You had um, Indiana was practically blocking uh, in the secondary at some points on those crossing routes. And yeah. The OPI never got called. If you're going to call OPI, call it there. Don't call it when it, it, there wasn't, there just wasn't one on that play.
1: No, there was not. Uh, Rich on Facebook says, What did you guys make of Justin Fields interceptions? Were all three his fault or not? Uh, yeah, all three were his fault. All three were his fault. Yeah. Uh, the one, first one was a, threw it inside should have been thrown outside the other two just don't throw it I know you don't want to get sacked but don't throw it in that situation just
0: force the ball yeah um if you're going to the ground it's almost never a good idea to throw it I know he's made those plays in the past um but Chris Olave was contested on that and you, you just can't make that throw going to the ground I get the third interception the guy was open at least mm. But uh, you overshot him, and clearly, again, you go into the ground on a sack on the run. It's just not a throw you want to make as a quarterback, unless you're throwing it into the stands. You know, point out grandma on the bleachers and yep. chuck it over there. Don't don't risk the interception. Give it the old Joe
1: Bowserman. <laughs> All right, now uh, this week's schedule as we back on out of here. We got Ohio State on noon Saturday at Illinois. Uh, Maryland and Indiana will play at the same time. Terps hoping to get back on the field after two straight loss games to COVID. Playing at Indiana, that one could uh, that can light up the scoreboard there in Bloomington. Those two teams can uh, wing it around. That might be a four-hour game, the way uh, they both throw it. Yeah. Uh, Northwestern goes on the road to Michigan State. I don't think Northwestern's good enough to take anybody for granted, but I think they're good enough to beat Michigan State. They should win that game. They're 11th now? I didn't know that. They're 11th. Uh, Minnesota is at Wisconsin. That's, let me see, what's that one? That's not, that's the Paul Bunyan axe on the uh, line for the uh, Gophers and the Badgers. Badgers Lots will be rivalry. salty and mad, and with the way Minnesota doesn't play the run, Wisconsin might run for 400 yards in that one. Rutgers is on the road at Purdue. I'm damn Shiano's doing a pretty good job at Rutgers. He really is. He's got him playing hard. Yes. The transfer QB from Nebraska has really helped him. Noah Federal. And then here's your game that we thought would mean something, and it really means absolutely nothing. It might mean the Toilet Bowl. It might mean Penn State at Michigan. That one is at noon. That tells you everything you need to know right there. Ohio State and Illinois are playing at noon, and the three thirty game in the Big Ten is not Michigan and Penn State. The Big Ten Network doesn't even want that game <laughs> for night. They don't even want that game for nighttime.
0: They don't. uh, They clearly, it's not going to pull in the best ratings. Uh, What? What? What is there to watch in that? You know, you got two uh,
1: (sighs) two struggling coaches, two struggling programs, two struggling offenses. Yeah, (laughs) I mean that's just incredible. That's that tells you everything you need to know right there. Is Penn State Michigan? Is at noon when the other? I mean, there's two better noon games in the Big Ten than that game. Who's Ohio the State Illinois coach. Maryland Indiana those are better noon games yikes I got to get that figured out it and and the look the Big Ten needs those two programs to be good absolutely and Ohio State needs those programs to be good Ohio State needs to get to the point where there's no ammunition in the well you haven't played anybody argument when Ohio State gets in a playoff consideration right because if those teams are bad that does not help you you know it just does not help you So uh, that's where we are with Big Ten football uh, as we head toward Thanksgiving. Again, thanks to everybody for joining us on Twitch, Twitch twitch.tv forward slash Chris Landry. Follow uh, us by hitting that follow button. You'll get a notification every time we broadcast. And we want to thank our friends at American Betting Experts. Go to LandryFootball.com. Google the ad upper right-hand corner of the page. You'll get a free match for your first bet, Uh, America's Betting Experts. Appreciate them very, very much. Andy, we will look forward to seeing you uh, next Monday after another week of uh, Big Ten football. And hopefully um, COVID will not intrude and keep uh, the schedule from being uh, reduced. And we'll see what we see coming out of Ohio State, Illinois, Northwestern at Michigan State, Minnesota at Wisconsin, and uh, Penn State of Michigan. We can only hope. Yes. Everybody have a great week. Talk to you again next Monday at 10. Our friends from the Big 12 with the In Defense of the Big 12 podcast comes your way at the top of the hour here on the Chris Landry Football Channel on Twitch. You can always hear the podcast at LandryFootball.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com.
0: It's my little escape.
1: Now Judy's the life of the party.
0: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
1: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs)